Uh, well, good afternoon. It's great to be here. Uh, my name's Alistair. Uh, I've come up uh, from Doncaster this afternoon. Uh, Paul is a friend of mine that we kind of meet up regularly. We meet and pray together. Um, and it's great to be able to come and preach to you this evening. Um, just to tell you a little bit about me, it's odd, isn't it, having someone come and talk to you who you've never heard of. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, uh, originally in Ipswich, hence you'll see my little lads afflicted with Ipswich town tops. Um, well, I grew up there, went to church every kind of Sunday, um, all the way through till I was 15, you know, would have done the Sunday school answers. If you'd asked me what anything was, the answer was always Jesus. That was always the right answer. You know, what's grey has ears and a bushy tail. I know it sounds like a squirrel, but it must be Jesus because we're in Sunday school. Um, well, I grew up like that, and then when I was 15, suddenly it kind of struck me that actually I was living one way on a Sunday, another way during the week. And I realized, actually, although I knew all about Jesus, I didn't know him. And from that point on, I kind of asked loads of questions, read loads of books, um, started exploring various other religions to see, actually, is Christianity the one that's true? And that led me eventually uh, to give uh, my heart to Jesus and ask him to be my Lord uh, and my Savior. Um, we've been in Doncaster for a number of years. About three and a half years ago, we went from what was quite a big church, about 220 with about 30 people to plant another church in Doncaster. Um, that's grown to, we're about kind of 80 to 100 on a Sunday morning, which is great. Um, we've got a mission starting next Sunday uh, for a whole week. You could pray for that, that'd be great. Doncaster's a really needy area. Um, we reckon that there were up to 15 places we could put a pin in the map and find 10,000 people with no Bible teaching church around them. Um, so one of our aims is to begin, begin to look already at planting more churches um, uh, around the area. Uh, well, let's pray, shall we, as we come to Ephesians. Father God, we want to thank you for your word to us. Uh, thank you that it's true. Thank you that through it you speak to us. You tell us who you are and you tell us as well uh, who we are. And you reveal to us actually what the purpose of our life is. Uh, you reveal to us things that we hadn't even realized about ourselves, our hearts, our dreams, our fears. And we pray this afternoon that you would be pleased to be speaking to us through your word. Lord, take away anything that's unhelpful and speak to us by your spirit as you make your word live for us, we pray. Amen. It'd be great if you've got a Bible to have it open in front of you so you can check out what I'm saying. Um, I was reading a newspaper article a couple of weeks ago and it started like this. Christianity in Britain is on the retreat. Uh, there's a way to start an article, isn't it? Christianity in Britain is on the retreat. Now, I think they actually have a point. And they might well be right. I wonder if you've ever had this situation. Someone says to you, you know, what did you do on Sunday? Uh, well, what's the first thing you think of? My hunch is it isn't, uh, I went to church. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes we kind of think of something else to say, don't we? You know, if the question's a bit wider, what did you do at the weekend? Well, we talk about what we did on Saturday rather than uh, what we did on Sunday. Or maybe it's when someone asks you a question about a moral issue. Uh, we had a dinner party last night with some friends of ours. And a number of kind of moral issues came up. You know, what do you think about abortion? Or, or what do you think um, about adoption and all these other things? All these kind of moral issues that are around. Now, knowing some of the people we were having a meal with, you, know, you were slightly tentative about some of those answers. Slightly apologetic about what their reaction might be. Now, one of the questions is, why, why can we be like that sometimes as Christians? 
Uh, we live in a world, don't we, that, that talks about aggressive atheism. Um, I, I kind of quite like the Richard Dawkins books. Um, I think his God delusion book is brilliant. Uh, not because it proves God doesn't exist, but because actually he's totally misunderstood the Bible. And as you have conversations with people who have read it and then talk to them about what the Bible actually says and what grace actually means, well, suddenly they realize actually all the things Dawkins has said aren't true. And they begin to be interested in, in who Jesus is. But sometimes that aggressive atheism makes us a little bit wary of what we say. I think at root cause, if you're a Christian here, and sometimes you feel that little bit of kind of reticence to speak, at root cause, it's because actually we don't really know our biblical identity. And Paul in Ephesians writes so that Christians will understand who they are and where they're living. Okay, who they are and where they're living. Now, you might be thinking, you know, that's really obvious. I know who I am. You know, and I know where I live. You know? You might think, well, that's, that's dead straightforward. Well, actually, it's not in those terms. It's in terms of the plan of salvation history. Paul takes this church in Ephesus and these believers in Ephesus, and he gives them the context they live in, not in terms of Ephesus, not in terms of the Roman Empire, but in terms of the whole universe. And then he takes them and he gives them their identity. Not in terms of gender, not in terms of job, not in terms of ethnicity, but in terms of what it means to be in Christ. Now we're going to focus particularly this afternoon on verses 19 and 20 of Ephesians 6. And they say this, Pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul there is asking for two things. He asks for fearlessness and he asks for clarity in sharing the Gospels. I did, uh, was looking at this with somebody recently and they said, you know, that's one of the hardest passages ever. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, you've got the two things there that actually Christians automatically think things about and think wrongly about. He said, evangelism, we automatically think we've failed. And prayer, well, we automatically feel uh, guilty. Now, I think as Christians, Paul is saying that's, that's not to be the case. That's not to be the case at all. I was chatting with somebody else about this, and they were saying, you know, it's interesting that Paul plays for clarity. So whenever I share the gospel with someone, I feel a little bit like I've just vomited Jesus all over them. You know, I, I know the words I want to come out, but it just doesn't come out clearly and I end up leaving thinking they're more confused than ever. The Bible's fascinatingly clear both on prayer and on evangelism. And it says prayer is not something we're to be confused about. Prayer isn't actually something we should find difficult. The Bible is always really honest about the things that are hard for Christians. It talks about persecution. It talks about suffering. It talks about illness. It talks about evangelism as being difficult. But you know, the Bible doesn't talk about prayer being a difficulty. And we need to think less about the mechanics of praying and more about the person we pray to. That prayer is about God's children speaking to their loving Father. And evangelism, well, interestingly, the Bible says evangelism is going to be a struggle. Did you spot that as we looked at Ephesians 6? Paul prays for fearlessness. Now, that means, must mean he knew the temptation of being afraid. He must have known what it was to be fearful. 
Uh, we've been doing some evangelism training recently, and I introduced our folks to what I call the gulp moment. Um, you know when someone asks you a question, and you have that moment where you think, if I tell them the gospel, they could be really offended, and it could screw up our friendship forever. And you go, gulp, and then you tell them the gospel. Okay, it's what we call the gulp moment. Well, you know, Paul has the gulp moment. He talks about the need to be fearless because he knows potentially he could be fearful. And then Paul prays for clarity because he knows there's the potential for him to be unclear. Now, we're just going to look at what Paul prayed for in a bit more detail this afternoon. But before we look at the prayer that Paul prays, we need to understand that both prayer and sharing the gospel are not chores to undertake. They're not things to tick off. They're not things we have to do. But they flow naturally out of rightly understanding our identity and rightly understanding where we live. Here's the first thing Paul says about our identity. It's this. We are God's ambassadors. Did you notice that in verse 20? For which I am an ambassador. An ambassador is someone who lives in a foreign land but represents their king or queen. If you are the British ambassador overseas, you effectively represent the British people. Everything you do, everything you say, your reactions, the things you get angry about, the things you're prepared to negotiate on, they are all taken as being things the British people care about. That's fascinating that that the Apostle Paul uses that idea of an ambassador. And he's saying, as he lives in a foreign land, which is the world... He represents God. That's who he is. He represents God himself. Now, one of the things in Ephesians is Paul has been trying to help them understand who they really are, what their identity is. If you've got a Bible, flick back to chapter 1 of Ephesians. We're going to do a quick 30-second tour of chapter 1 and a quick 10-second tour of chapter 2. At chapter 1, Paul, Paul begins by reminding them of the wonder of who they are in Christ. And he uses a number of terms. So, He says in verse 4 that they are chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless. That's who these believers are. Chosen to be holy and blameless. Chosen by God to be perfect. He goes on in chapter 5 to say that they are chosen to be loved and predestined to be adopted as God's children. They're, They're chosen to be in God's family. Verse 7, their identity is that they are redeemed and forgiven. At verse 8, their identity is that they've had grace lavished on them. And not a little bit, but poured all over them, more than they, they can deal with. At verse 9, he says, they've had the mystery of the gospel revealed to them. At verse 13, they're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And verse 14, they have a guaranteed inheritance. And he writes to the Ephesians, he says, know who you are. Chapter 2, he continues after a little break to to kind of break into prayer. And he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you're alive in Christ. And more than that, he says in 2.6, they are seated together with Christ in the heavenly place. In other words, they reign with him. They are victors with Jesus Christ. And he goes on in chapter 3 to explain this isn't an individual identity. This is a corporate identity. You're not saved for individualism. 
You're saved to be part of God's new community. And all the way through Ephesians, there's a little phrase that keeps coming out. It says it's in Christ or through Christ. All of your identity is wrapped up in what Jesus Christ has done for you. Now, all of that applies not just to the Ephesians, but to us this afternoon, if we trust in Jesus Christ as our saviour. That's who he makes us. Now, every so often I'll come across someone who will kind of say to me, you know, you should really look at this self-help book. Um, Some of them have got kind of great titles, you know, Seven Steps to Contentment, uh, you know, Seven (laughs) Steps to a Healthy Spirituality, you know, whatever it is. And one of them said this, think about all the best things about yourself and write them on a mirror above your bar, in your bathroom. And then every morning when you go in, you'll see it and you'll think of yourself that way. And every evening before you put your head on the pillow, you'll think of yourself that way. Now, Paul actually says the better thing to do is to think about who you are in Christ. Take these things and remember them. Put them above your mirror. Who Christ has made you. Because that's secure for all eternity. We aren't identified by our job or our nationality or our success or our failure or our looks or how fashionable we are. We are identified, we are defined by who we are in Jesus Christ. That God in Christ gives us a new identity and it's wonderful. You see, the identity the world gives you tries to seek to reduce you. We've got a, a number of ladies in our church who've just become mums. And what's the little phrase new mums always say when someone asks them, what do you do? Oh, I'm just a mum. That little word, just. You know, it's a horrible word. You know, we always say to mums, take out the word just. Being a mum is an amazing calling. I am just a mum. As if somehow it's not enough. See, it kind of seeks to re- reduce you, doesn't it? A lot of the stuff we do with teenagers is because actually... They are reduced by how the, word, the world views them. Good-looking, not good-looking. Sporty, not sporty. Academic, not academic. And that carries on in the rest of life, doesn't it? But actually, the gospel doesn't reduce us in terms of our identity. It doesn't limit us. It liberates us. And that's what Paul is saying. You are not who the world will seek to limit you to be. You are in Christ, a child of God. You are loved by the almighty creator of the universe that you have grace lavished on you. You need do nothing. It's all done for you if you will just trust in Jesus Christ as your saviour. Have you got your identity? That's the first thing to get this afternoon. If you're a Christian, if you've believed in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1 is who you are. You are God's saved, redeemed, perfect children. Not just when you feel like it, but when you have your worst moments, that every sin paid for and atoned for at the cross. Now that identity has massive implications and Paul unpacks them in the rest of Ephesians in chapters 4 to 6. Paul knows who he is in Christ and he actually says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, he says, therefore we we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. He applies it to all believers. You are, if you know your identity, or whether you know your identity or not as a believer, you are an ambassador for Christ. God makes his appeal to the world through you. Now, knowing who we are will transform us. Having our identity set right as being in Christ, that will change how we think of ourselves, it will change how we react, and it will change how we live. 
no longer reduced, but liberated. Here's the second thing Paul says. He says they are God's ambassadors in a hostile world. Now we need to understand not just who we are, but also when and where we live. We need to know that. I've, um, I'm sad to say I've got a friend of mine who's a big Leeds fan. Um, and every so often I have been to watch Leeds with him. Um, and I've once been to watch Ipswich Leeds with him and had to sit in the Leeds end. Um, now, as any away fan in the Leeds end will tell you, it is the most nerve-wracking 90 minutes of your life. And you sit there, even in sweltering summer, with your coat done up so that nobody can see your shirt underneath. Now, I knew who I was. I also knew where I was. Um, The first time I ever took my wife to Portman Road to watch Norwich against Ipswich, local derby, um, I'd promised her there would be no violence. Until in the 85th minute, a certain man called Craig Bellamy scored for Norwich. And in the kind of hardcore Ipswich end of 6,500 Ipswich fans, one lone man stood up, took his coat off, and revealed a Norwich City jacket. It would be the guy sat next to my wife, wouldn't it? Who took his jacket off, gave it to his girlfriend and said, I'm going to go and sort this out. And down he went and smacked the guy in the Norwich shirt. Um, I said, Lucy, this has never happened before, I promise. At which point uh, the guy's girlfriend said, he said he wouldn't do this after last time. That's not what you want to hear, is it? But actually, you know, it matters, doesn't it? Knowing who you are, but also knowing where you are. I was sensible enough to know I was an Ipswich fan, but know I was in big trouble if I revealed that to any Leeds fan around me. That Norwich fan didn't have quite the same presence of mind to think about what might happen if he revealed himself in that situation. Now, did you notice how Paul described himself as an ambassador? He said he was an ambassador in chains. He is privileged to be an ambassador, but he is a prisoner because the world that he lived in hated what he stood for. You see, Paul knew who he was, but he also knew where he was. That representing Jesus and proclaiming the gospel is not safe. It is not comfortable, and neither is it meant to be. Because there is a spiritual battle that rages all around us. And Ephesians makes that incredibly clear. Paul wants the church in Ephesus to know who they are, but also to recognize where they live. Um, I'm not massively into kind of looking at the night sky. But, you know, sometimes you'll wander outside and you can see a few stars, can't you? And you think, wow, you know, they're fairly amazing. Well, last summer I went to Romania doing um, some kids' camps. Uh, And our base for the kids' camp was actually up a mountain at a higher altitude than Ben Nevis. And then we were kind of walking up the mountain even further, another 500 meters, every night to do a kind of bonfire. And after the fire had gone out, you would stand there, and it would be amazing to see the night sky. Thousands and thousands and thousands of stars, ones you would never, ever see in the UK. And it was a little bit like having the blinkers taken off your eyes. You can look at the night sky in this country and think it's impressive. You want to sit with no light pollution, sit up a mountain, and it is the most awesome thing you can ever see. Now, what Paul is doing in Ephesians is he's taking the blinkers off, and he's showing the church in Ephesus what the world is really like. If you've got your Bibles open, glance back at verse 12 of Ephesians 6. He writes this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, Does that strike you as a funny way of describing the world? As he describes the kind of cosmos, the universe we live in, as he describes a small church fighting in Ephesus to make the gospel known, they don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the forces of darkness arrayed around them. Paul is taking their blinkers off. He says, see the world as it really is. That we are engaged in and in the midst of a spiritual battle. The world around us is not neutral to Christianity. It isn't even really apathetic to Christianity. It is hostile to the gospel. And our battle actually is against more than just the world. Opposition to the gospel is to be expected. It is the norm, not the exception. Do you recognize who you are, but do you also recognize where and when you live? Paul is saying we live in between Christ's comings. He's come once and he's coming again. You live as part of the kingdom, but the kingdom is not yet here. As believers, we live in the midst of a broken world that's at war with its creator. Christ has won the victory, and Paul makes that point in chapter 1, verse 6. But the world that is still fighting that victory. The victory is certain. There's no doubt it will happen. But it will take as many people down with it as it can in its death throes. And he's saying to the Ephesian church, know where you are and stand against it. And it matters to recognize when and where we live, because if not, hostility will surprise us. Let's glance back at verse 13. You notice how it starts, therefore take up the whole armor of God. We had that great bit read to us, didn't we, about the armor, the breastplate, the helmet, the sword. To recognize we're in a battle. And he calls us to put on the full armor of God. And only if we recognize our identity and where we live and the hostility will we bother putting the armor on. You don't put armor on if you don't recognize you're in a battle. You take your armor off when you don't think you're in a battle. Now the armor is designed so that we can stand, so that we don't fall back, so that we do not retreat in the face of the world's hostility. Do you know who you are? Do you know... Do you know where you live? Now, if we don't, then we won't expect hostility and we'll be unprepared for it. So that when we share the gospel with someone and reject it, well, we won't be expecting rejection. We'll be crushed by rejection. When we stand up for biblical issues on morality and we're met with anger by others, as we so often are, we won't do so again. When we we find ourselves rejected because of our Christian values, we'll be surprised at it. Uh, We have a couple in our church who, um, a great couple with with a teenage son. Um, And they were desperate. They can't have any more children. They were desperate to foster um, children. And Doncaster is crying out for foster carers. Uh, They applied to the local council to foster. And they had a phone call from a social worker um, who kind of asked them all sorts of questions. And then she said, I've got one final thing I need to just ask with you. You've put down that you're a Christian on on your form. What does that mean? So they explained what it meant, their commitment to the church, what they believed. And she said, "Um, if we placed a child with you who did not want to go to church, what would you do? They said, well, if the child was old enough, they could stay at home on their own, or one of us would stay with them. The social worker said, that is totally unacceptable. That you would need to both make the decision not to go to church again. 
while that foster child was placed with you. Now, isn't that striking? Does that surprise you? That's the hostility of the world to two Christians who were determined to live out their faith. Now, we don't kind of, if we're not expecting those things, it will, it will undermine our faith. When we're met with injustice and difficulty and struggle, we'll become fearful and crushed, we'll become bitter and cynical, and we'll go into retreats rather than standing. Unless we're rooted in a biblical understanding of who we are and where we are, that we are engaged in a battle, but that the victory is won, that we'll fall. Do you know who you are? Do you know when you live? The victory is won, and that's an absolute certainty. Here's the last thing. This is this. That we are God's dependent ambassadors secure in a hostile world. Now, maybe what I've said is, you know, slightly alarming. You know, the hostility. Maybe you prefer not to think about it. Now, there is a danger in focusing too much on the world. And it robs us of our joy and our security. Do you notice what Paul says? Look at verse 18. He says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. As you see, Paul knows who he is, he knows where he lives, and he knows who he depends on. He depends on God. That's why that word praying and all, or supplication and all, comes up again and again and again in verse 18. He knows he can't do it himself. He knows left to himself he'll fail. That Paul asks for prayer for fearlessness because he knows that he'll be tempted to be fearful in the face of hostility. That's a great thing for us to pray for, isn't it? Now, we've got a mission, and at this time next Sunday, I'll be preparing to do a talk in a local coffee shop in Doncaster on uh, why would a God of love allow suffering? Um, and we're hoping there are 20 guys that I play football with every week on a Monday in a league that's fairly violent, that leaves you with quite a lot of injuries, um, verbal and bruises up your leg and in chest height and all sorts of places. And we're hoping they all come. Now, do you know what? I, I will go to that meeting fearful. I will go with a knot in my stomach. I will not eat for two hours before I go. And actually, that's, that's something the Apostle Paul would have felt. Sharing the gospel is, is, is fearsome. But God can make us fearless. That God is the one who will enable us to do it. But Paul also prays, doesn't he, for clarity, that words may be given me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul knows he can't do it himself. He could learn. You know, it's kind of odd, isn't it, to think of Paul having to ask for clarity. You know, he preached hundreds and hundreds of times in loads of cities, loads of contexts. We've got examples of his, his, you know, evangelistic preaching that are held up left, right, and center, and yet he knows evangelism depends on God. It's only God that can save people as he reveals the truth to them. I wonder this afternoon as we wrap up, do you know who you are? That you are God's people in Christ if you've trusted him. Do you know where you live? You live in a hostile world. But do you know who you depend on? You depend on God who keeps you and that will drive you to prayer. Can I say, if you're not sure about your identity this afternoon, maybe... Maybe you've not put your trust in Jesus Christ. Well, actually, don't you want those things? To know that you're loved by God? To know that your future is secure? To know that you have a purpose? Uh, it's yours simply for, for asking him to, to save you. 
repenting of the way you've lived and asking him to be Lord of your life. And he will come in and you will know who you are. There'll be battles, there'll be struggle because the world will be hostile to you, but the future will be glorious and you will know his help and his guidance with you. Paul says we are ambassadors. God making his appeal to the world through us. 